Hello, welcome to episode 22 of We Walk the Earth podcast. I'm your host, Sergio Isauro. We Walk the Earth is a Not Love original show and is produced by a team of talented creatives. We love what we do. If you wish to support this podcast, please share it with people in your community. Rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Connect with us on social media and through our website. Apart from hosting and producing this podcast, I spend my time making art, sound, and supporting people through purpose coaching. If you are curious about finding ways of connecting to your purpose within, book a free purpose coaching session with me through my link in the show notes of this episode. Sharing this week's episode is really special for me because I speak with one of the creators of my all-time favorite podcasts, the show that most inspired me to go into podcasting and that keeps nourishing my relationship with myself, sound, nature, and everything that's around me. Mendel Skolsky is a storyteller with the podcast Future Ecologies a show produced on and often about unceded indigenous territories across the Salish Sea, located in the Canadian province of British Columbia and the U.S. state of Washington. Trained in industrial design and steeped in reverence of nature's infinite entangled beauty, Mendel opted to devote themselves to a less material form of production, that of sounds and ideas. They apply a musical ethos to narrative composition using soundscape as an indispensable layer of communication. Thematically, they seek to illuminate the assumptions that shape our eco-social relationships so that we may discover other ways of being a part of the natural world. Besides the podcast, they work as a mushroom guide, introducing the public the diversity and ecology of local fungi. Their other loves include bikes, fruit, and dancing. Please, welcome to the show, Mendel Skolsky. This is We Walk the Earth. Enjoy.
How long did you say you've been doing this? We released the first episode last August, so a year. Nice. But I've been kind of working and gathering interviews and like just started Mm -hmm. working like six months before that, like very slowly. Yes, I told you. It was really funny. I think podcast came into my life very late because uh-huh. I mean at the right moment, but very late because they've been around forever. I was just not very used to the format. And I was just listening to podcasts for a, about a year and a half or two years, which is uh, Future Ecologies and Duncan Trussell's Family Hour podcast. Those were my two go to podcast for those years and yeah and i i've played around with music and sound for a while and just wanted to i was like really inspired but really didn't feel like i had much to say it was until i came to the talking to people part of it that made me want to make a podcast so thank you for the inspiration (laughs) (laughs) i feel i feel so similar like I rarely feel like I have any particular expertise to share with anybody, but, you know, maybe I have some curiosity or I just want to sink a lot of effort into this thing and hopefully other people enjoy it. But it's, you know, it's rare that I, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, (laughs) Oh man, I'm so unused to like chatting in this format because we yeah. I, we get to plan out everything we're going to say and stitch it all together. And and it's never really just about me, which is part of what I'm saying here. It's rare for me to tell my story in that way. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So wait, were you a musician before coming to podcasting? Yes. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started like in a rock, like teenage rock context. Mm-hmm. And when growing up, uh, which I loved, and then I don't know, like I studied music, then went into sound engineering that like mm-hmm. took me more to the technical side of things and synths and like stuff. And nice. yeah, I actually detached from it for a while. I started to work on like producing events. So I kind of like I was grabbing the guitar and like doing things, but I was not making music. For the past few years have been going back at it um do you make music it's funny so i'm kind of the opposite in that respect where i came to podcasting first because i thought it was interesting and there was this there's this kind of void that we wanted to fill and i loved sound and i kind of did a little bit of music when i was a kid but nothing too serious i learned how to read sheet music i played violin until i was about 12 that that sort of thing Mm mm-hmm and a little bit of guitar, but not, again, like not very serious, not very committed, not very creative. Um, and then after doing the podcast and Adam kind of, I started to take on more of the the editing and then the production responsibilities from Adam as he, his day job got more and more serious. Mm-hmm. And now I'm finally getting into making music for the show, which is exciting and daunting. And I'm I'm listening to music in different ways now because I I'm hearing some of those more tech not technical but kind of like the the intentionality of like oh there are these simple elements that have gone together in this way and this is the the effect that they're making because Mm -hmm. of that arrangement and i'm relying a lot on synthesizers and randomness and it's like why doesn't this suit the mood that i'm trying to do here (laughs) and it's because well it's random and it's not musical uh so i'm I'm kind of reverse engineering music in that way Mm. to become a better musician and to become a better podcast producer Yeah. yeah yeah that's really nice uh, oh. broadening the 
yeah what you put into the show and and what you give to people that's super nice and oh, you also you also include a lot of different people's music in mm -hmm. the show which i love oh thank you yeah it's we both really think about the show in musical terms right like i think that the thing that we thought was missing in podcasting was this environmental communication but done in with a respect to the textures and the forms with the shows that we heard that were sometimes about nature, but oftentimes about many other things like Radiolab or Love and Radio or Here Be Monsters, or there's lots of great radio out there, great mm -hmm. podcasts, but we, because we're both big nerds, we really wanted to focus on ecology and we both really love music. So every episode is this exercise in like, how do we do soundscape with as much intention as we do story mm -hmm. and as we do like scientific communication? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've yeah. heard that in the podcast, you describe yourself as a naturalist. Do you just study ecology or something around those subjects? I mean, study in the sense of continuously observe and think about and like yeah. look into like experiential studying. yeah as, as a lay person right like just yeah. as somebody who is continuously fascinated by like the weird shapes and textures and mechanisms that appear in nature not formally not through academia mm -hmm. uh, i studied industrial design mm -hmm. which is also why like i think i i tend to think about certain things like making sound or ecology, I, I often think about it in kind of mechanistic ways, for better or for worse. Um, but that's what fascinates me is, is a lot of like the structures and the rationale behind those structures mm -hmm. and mostly through mushrooms. Mm. But, but also generally, like I love plants, I love animals, I mm -hmm. love bugs and bacteria, but I especially love fungi. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, I think that The research that goes, I mean, I feel that there goes a lot of research behind your work for future ecologies and the way everything is structured. It sounds for me, that's one of the things that caught me feeling like it was so, so well researched and professional and, and like consistent in a way, like information wise with making it like sexy, <laughs> like making <laughs> it yeah. sound so good and so yeah. rich and you and Adam's like interaction in it, everything mm -hmm. like it sounds really, really good. I really thought that you were out there in a lab and collecting samples <laughs> and like, I don't know, like it really does give that, that vibe. Oh, I'm, I'm so touched to hear that. That's exactly what we want to want to put out there. And I would say, you know, that's mostly, <laughs> it's mostly just the product of us sinking a lot of time and thought into each episode, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think we, we could have made a lot more episodes by now if we just wanted to churn them out, but we would rather keep working on it until it's done. You know mm. what I mean? Like we're, we're not really good at sticking to a schedule. <laughs> yeah, I agree We'll that. just, yeah, we'll, we'll put in a lot of research thinking about an episode. Then we'll go out and talk to the people and then we'll kind of digest that into a story and then we'll work that into a script and then we'll rework that and then we'll record it and then we'll rework it again and then we'll add mm -hmm. some music to it and then we'll kind of, you know, maybe we have to add another interview and do the script again. It's, 
yeah, it's a lot of work, but mm. it's really rewarding and mm. it's great to get that kind of feedback. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, it's really inspiring, as I mentioned yeah. before. Why podcasting? We both just loved podcasts. That was actually something that we bonded over as friends. Um, one of the first things that we bonded over as friends was just our, our mutual love for podcasts, in addition to our mutual love for the natural world. Adam is a musician and, you know, I guess I'm a latent musician, as, as I'm now discovering. And we have a natural affinity towards sound. And I think we both recognized it was hardly early days in podcasting, but a little a little earlier than now. We started in we started working on it in 2017. Mm-hmm. We started publishing in 2018. But there was this maybe not explicit understanding, but a realization that this was a medium that has a lot of power to it that that people can take with them anywhere that they can trade freely with their friends and neighbors and that like you really can speak to the world in this powerful way and not in a totally dissimilar way from other kinds of content creation formats like YouTube or Twitch or whatever but but the audio realm is a little more portable a little bit more suitable to multitasking and yeah, I think there's a lot more room for storytelling that doesn't involve lights and video production and special effects. Like we can do a lot of special effects. We can take you to places, we can construct a mood, but we only really have to worry about that one dimension, which is sound. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, which is really powerful and yeah. intimate. And the way in which you approach making the show, do you have like any formula for (laughs) i would say that we are actively trying to resist formulas as much as we do fall into our own little ruts and and habits there's definitely like a form of discourse which comes easier to us and is easier to construct because most of the time we're kind of two hosts investigating a topic um, but sometimes it makes more sense for one of us to be in the dark and one of us to know the thing. We've done that a number of times. Um, usually I'm the one that's in the dark and Adam is telling me something. I get to just react and to peek behind the curtain a little bit. That's usually candid on the first run, but then we fill in the blanks. If there's a piece that's missing, we'll go back and we'll script kind of a bridge or we'll, Adam will feed me a line or, or we'll figure some way to, to make sure that the story hangs together in a way that it might not necessarily if I was just reacting on the spot. So I'm not the best actor and maybe people can already tell that, <laughs> but that's one way that we do it. The other way that we do it is that we both kind of know the story and we're telling it together. Yeah. Or, you know, one of us is more behind the scenes, right? Like I've sat just in the producer chair or Adam has done uh, that as well. Mm -hmm. We're starting to get other people to help us tell stories so that we can play with that form a little bit more, taking on kind of guest producers and, and kind of hanging out more in the production side of it rather than on the, on the hosting side of it. And we've got an episode coming up that breaks the form Mm-hmm. entirely it's going to be just a monologue by someone who isn't either of us mm-hmm. you're not going to hear from us at all until the credits so i'm really excited about that mm. yeah the formula is just to be experimental i mm-hmm. guess and yeah. to yeah to just keep cooking it until it feels right mm. yeah yeah i hear that I'm, I'm curious because you said podcast came into your life at the late in the scheme of the world but at the right moment for you why was it the right moment i've always been exposed uh, well, expose myself to music 
but I was not really used to listening. I'm saying it in like in my headphones, in my studio, in like this to like people talking, you know, um, like audiobooks. Also, I was not exposed to that. I think it was really nice because it helped me. It brought this intimate factor with it. I feel someone is close to me sharing something with me. And I think for me, it's really powerful because I can work with my hands and I can do other things while I'm, it's one of the little moments in which I can multitask <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. So I think it was powerful because of the time I was in. I kind of like mm. needed to go inside within myself, but mm. feeding this curiosity and wish of learning also and being exposed to new topics. I think that was what uh, made it for me in podcasting. <laughs> I think there's something really special about yeah, handwork while listening. It's mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it can take over and you don't hear what's coming in, but other times it is actually a way to to bind what you're hearing to what you're feeling or what you're making or a little bit of both. I like um I think there's a reason why knitting circles and weaving groups are so powerful, right? That mm. that ability to connect with other people while your your hands are doing something repetitive mm -hmm. and active. I, I can't sit still and listen to a podcast. I just can't do it. Yeah, no. I have to be, I mean, it's usually more focused on chores, yeah. doing the dishes. Doing the or, dishes. <laughs> you know, I'm out going grocery shopping, but like, yeah. I can't just sit and listen. And maybe that just speaks to the kind of lack of attention span that I've developed in myself but yeah see yeah, yeah. It, it is a powerful medium yeah, yeah it is and there's something for everyone and that's what i mm. love you know like what you said it's mm -hmm. only one dimension but gives us access to many different dimensions which i i really 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 like i'm curious uh, mendel now that You've been doing the podcast for, you said 2018, you started publishing, right? Yeah. Okay. So after like four years or a bit more, <laughs> do you feel like a responsibility to keep on doing it? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do actually. Um, that's not a responsibility, which is entirely one that weighs on me heavily. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to keep doing it. Yeah. We've got tons of stories that we haven't been able to tell. And I was going to say for you, if you're, if you're banking interviews, that's one of the best things that you can do because there's been huge stretches, long, long months where we've actually haven't been able mostly through COVID, but we weren't able to do new interviews. And we just kind of used up all these things that we had saved in the interview bank. And we managed to pull stories out of them. And that was so successful we kind of dried out that backstock a little bit, I would say, through that process. So we need to start collecting again and, and just going out there and talking to people. And hopefully the world makes that a little bit easier in the in the next yeah. few months. But yeah, I feel I feel a certain amount of responsibility to keep going a little bit for the world and a little bit for myself, right? Like I think we've we're now starting to cultivate a group of listeners that I would hate to disappoint by just fading out as some podcasts do it i think as all podcasts do i guess inevitably mm -hmm. like i said there's just more more stories to tell and 
yeah, I'm, I'm really starting to hitch my, my personal career to this whole art of podcasting. And I really want to do that on my terms, right? Like I want to just tell these stories and I want to just make this thing and give it away to the world and hopefully survive on that basis. So, uh, yeah, if the world circumstances or like our capacity to keep this thing going on our own steam peters out, then I'm going to need to get a real job. <laughs> I'd rather not. I'd rather just keep making this show. So, yeah. and hopefully keep making it in a, in a way that is getting better all the time and is mm. growing and involving more people. I think you mentioned the, we feature musicians on the show. It's one of my greatest prides that now that we are getting a little bit more of a Patreon support and that sort of thing, we can actually pay musicians before we would just ask them for their music as a favor. Hmm. And now it's like, oh, actually, like we have a little bit of money that we can give you. And and the same with guest producers, like offering spaces for other people to tell their stories, because I really don't want it to just be the Mendel and Adam show. We I don't, you know, Adam, <laughs> Adam's a knowledgeable guy. I and he has actual working expertise in what he does. I'm just turning into this audio producer, and I don't really feel like I need to tell anything or anybody anything about ecology. I just want to be the the conduit by which those stories get told in a good way. Mm. So yeah, inviting more people to participate in the show and continuously branching out in terms of that format, mm. what form the episodes take. And if somebody else is telling a story, I want it to sound completely different. But I'm sure because we're involved that it'll retain a little bit of that future ecologies flavor. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of my hope. Yeah. Mm. I, I always wanted it to be kind of a, almost like a media platform, like not just a podcast, but kind yeah. of a music label and kind of like a yeah. place for other people to come in and do a little pop-up shop of a podcast. And that's been tricky to execute because in the end, when you are making something, I think for most of the time, you are the person who cares the most about it, right? Like it's hard to get other people to dream as hard as you are about your dream. They have their own dreams and they they want to do it in their own way. So I feel really lucky that Adam and I have a, quite a closely shared dream in this project. And, mm. and I don't think it's impossible that other people will want to get involved, but just trying to figure out how to how to decenter ourselves a little bit in that process is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. 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 I think there's this really beautiful and powerful thing that happens when projects and ideas start to be shared. Like the community mm-hmm. makes them just, I don't know, mycelium or something. Like it, they just like totally. start like connecting and connecting. And yeah. in our, I think being human, mm-hmm. it brings challenges. Because we mostly want things done our way. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's big, it's distributed, it's like, and it's still full of ego, right? It's really hard to escape that. And, you know, like, (laughs) I I know, I, I have all sorts of problems with my opinion and my relationship to control, especially being like the person at the editing desk most of the time now, and I've got my finger on the publish button. And I think... You know, it's just really lucky, honestly, and a testament to, hopefully a testament to our ability to get over our egos and work together that Adam and I have never had a moment where there's any kind of deal breaker in what we want to publish. We can usually sleep on it. And then if we if we do disagree about something, we'll come back to it and we'll come to some kind of compromise. 
And it's worked out really well so far. How to make that work with another person in the mix or how to, yeah, how to seed a little bit of control. I have no idea how to do, but I really want to do it and mm. I want to get better at it. So that's interesting. Mm. I will say that from the community aspect, again, it's a bit weird because it is like the show Future Ecologies is right at the middle of this thing in a way that sometimes makes me a little uncomfortable. But the fact that we have this Discord community now for our, the patrons of the show and also the musicians and also people who we've interviewed, we try to just get as many people into this thing as possible. Well, still, I guess it's keeping it as a, a kind of exclusive benefit of supporting mm -hmm. our show. Maybe we'll open that up someday. But the point being that it's been really beautiful to see how people connect with each other on that platform and the the ideas that they share and the kind of like the projects that they help each other out with and just like sharing information and sharing inspiration and a lot of silly memes. I'm less of a techno optimist than I used to be in terms of the power of the internet to delocalize communities in all these interesting ways, but there's still something to it, right? There is still really special things that can happen on the internet that couldn't happen any other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, before you open the Discord, Future Ecologies Discord uh, server, mm -hmm. did you interact with Discord at, at all? <laughs> Ooh, we're, we're getting a peek into another side of my life. Uh, <laughs> yes, you're like, I, I, you're like, I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did. I... Uh, How much do I want to say about this? Well, you can you can cut <laughs> as much of this as you want, but yeah, um, yeah I think being at least a, in part a techno optimist for a good portion of my life, um, I, I found myself quite fascinated with cryptocurrency and Discord. I was introduced to through a, a crypto community that I was a part of, and. Yeah, that was really the only medium to kind of stay up to date with what was happening there. And yeah, that was that was a big part of my life for mm -hmm. probably like a couple years before starting the Future Ecologies Discord server. And I didn't really participate. I just lurked and read and kept up with the news. But mm -hmm. then having a server of our own, feeling like, oh, if it's been too quiet for too long, I've got to inject some some news, some enthusiasm into the space was a very different feeling. Mm, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I'm asking this because I I think I have a Discord account. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're more than welcome on our server and you can start a new one. I don't think they yeah. they limit you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually, a few days ago, I was like peeking around the Future Ecologies website and stuff. Mm. And I saw that you have a Discord server. And I was like, okay, like this really... It, it might be like worth the try, you know, <laughs> like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go see what's in it. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, I, it's been one of the best ways for us to get to know the people who are listening to our show. I think I just, I'm not very good at social media in general, and yeah. I consider Discord part of social media. But like the reason I like having a podcast is because I'm not actually that good at sharing my life with others. You know what I mean? I kind of was always posting to Facebook when I had it pretty cryptically. You know, I didn't I didn't post a lot yeah. of photos. I didn't share a lot of details. It was just like hints at the things that I was thinking about, but nothing real. I was always a little bit guarded. 
And it's the same on Twitter. Like I, you know, I post to Twitter occasionally. My Instagram is only mushroom photos, right? Like I've, <laughs> I put up all these walls around how I share myself online. And then there's the podcast, which is again, this really super curated version of me as much mm. and what's of me that's in there is mostly just the aesthetic, right? Like mm. a few of my ideas, a bunch of my words, but it's all been thought about and planned and performed and and then edited. So to have a space like Discord where I, I do feel like I can just kind of kick back a little bit in the presence of people who I share a lot of values with and yeah, it's, it's just way more comfortable than kind mm -hmm. of these other open or less open social medias that I've been a part of. Mm, see, so. see, totally. And, yeah. and also the algorithms, no? Like you're not victim to the thing trying to use you as a product. Or <laughs> well, I mean, maybe not quite as overtly. <laughs> yeah. You're not being advertised to. Yeah. And you're not being... I mean, actually, I think there is a mechanism by which Discord can offer you new communities that you okay. haven't been a part of before. Yeah. I don't use that. I don't know if it exists. There might be a switch you need to flip, but it's not like TikTok. It's yeah. not like Facebook. It's not like Instagram in that sense. It is free. Mm -hmm. And there is probably a certain amount of like privacy concern about the information that they're getting just from what you're posting. But, you know, like, don't say anything illegal on Discord <laughs> and you're probably okay. I think our online behavior is probably being tracked and monitored in a thousand different ways. And Discord yeah. is just one of those. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. Um, how, if you don't mind me going a little bit into this, like other <laughs> side of you in like the crypto, oh, the crypto oh. world, how, like, <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't want to go into the crypto specifically, but I just want to sure. yeah. know how do you feel around this? I'm going to call it, double life that we live like the digital and mm. the 3d physical and i'm curious also because of the podcast and because we are kind of living in we're starting to learn to live in a digital reality also and yeah. you know like how do you feel about this highly conflicted highly conflicted i i mean like we are living one example of that right now like we're talking to each other over the internet Yeah. We're both just kind of stationed in our bubbles, reaching out to each other and then eventually to the world at large when you publish this, right? And there's this horrible irony with the podcast that I make, and I, I kind of suspect the podcast that you make too, I, depending on how much time you put into editing it, that it's about the world. It's about living life. It's about yeah. thinking about all these different relationships. And yet, in practice, to make that is a lot of being by oneself away from those relationships, away from the natural world in front of a computer. And it's not great for my body. It's not great for my mental health. And those are some of the things that I really want to try to find a way to do better because I don't want to give up the show on account of that. I think the show is really important. I don't want to sacrifice myself in such a dramatic way for it either. So just trying to keep those things in balance or, or figure out a better way to draw those things into my life more regularly so that I can do both. And maybe, you know, there's this dream of not living in a basement in the middle of the city, right? That maybe hopefully it'll get easier to access those things. But 
I don't want it to also just be grass is greener mentality that someday mm-hmm. I'll get there. I think there's a possibility to bring that into my life right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we did an episode earlier this season where we had a guest producer, Tone, who kind of invited this question of how much time we're, do any of us really spend outside and, and looking at the numbers, looking at the actual amount of hours that that we spend inside versus outside and you count sleep. So it's like, you have to be working really, really hard. You have to you have to basically live your entire life outside to crack 50%. And, you know, when I'm in the middle of editing the podcast, if I'm clocking my outside hours, I'm around 1% or less. Mm-hmm. And that's just dismal to me. So, yeah, on a good week, I might get up to seven. <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah. Does that answer your question? I think, yeah, I yeah, think it's tough. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard one. Actually, I've really resonate with what you're saying this podcast is called we walk the earth and i've been i've been i'm honest if i'm honest to you i've been like two weeks without saying oh damn like i haven't been walking this week then i i say to myself okay sergio come on like don't be a hypocrite and actually and yes like i get out there walking mm-hmm. in nature or in my town or new places and i immediately feel good and think, yes, I should be doing this more. And mm-hmm. this makes me happier. This makes me healthier. What you mentioned before. Yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a tough one to balance mm-hmm. because I want to be connected to you, to other people and do these projects and these things. But measuring it in myself is what mm, is hard, I think. Mm. Mm. It is really tough. Yeah, And I, I think... I mean, we've certainly been like conditioned into, I mean, all of us, not just podcasters, I feel have been conditioned to a certain amount of sedentary lifestyle working inside, except if you're very lucky that, that your job is inherently more active. And, and there's so much fear kind of knotted up in that. I think that it'll take a long time to unwind. Yeah. Just fear, fear of physical contact with other human beings, right? And that that's not going away, it seems, anytime no. soon, which is really scary. One thing that has kept me in the world that I'm really grateful for, my partner and I started gardening this year in a mm. real way. I can't say we're very good at it yet, but it's been nice. But also, as, you know, we live in this basement. We don't have a, a real garden outside of our house, but we're part of a community garden in the neighborhood. And it, I just feel so lucky that it's this truly a jungle so close to my house and one that not a lot of people know about in my city which i think is really funny like it's it's in the middle of this industrial area there's like a warehouses full of groceries that trucks pull up into and they get distributed to all the grocery stores and there's like a paint factory nearby and the trains over there and there's downtown <laughs> and it's just like and then you're in this incredible little jungle and i swear you walk off the street and the temperature drops like three degrees like you just feel it immediately wow and there's actually two gardens one is very much more like on grid lines and plots and the other one is just this kind of meandering zone of trees and canopy and everybody's different plants but just getting to visit that place and having a reason to visit that place you know you have to go water the garden um plant stuff weed stuff uh has been so good for me and and also to be part of this wetland project that we're starting to not 
restore because it didn't actually exist as a proper wetland in this sense before, but create, create a new wetland space in this part of the city, which has been so piled on by development and dumping ever since the city was born, really. Like this was a place where they brought in rubble and fill and and all sorts of like, they tore up, whenever they tore up streets, there would be chunks of it that would show up here. So it's full of asphalt, Mm -hmm. less kind of scary, weird garbage than we thought there might be. (laughs) Honestly, we all thought that we were going to come up with some horrible toxic waste and luckily we did not, but it was always kind of a muddy, swampy place in the winter and it would dry out completely in the summer. And we're like, this space should be a real wetland. So yeah. actually starting to develop that just happened this summer. And I'm so excited to see how it hmm. transforms in the next couple of years. And I wish I could be around in a thousand years and see if it turns into a bog, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this like urban green bubbles. I think it's a necessity of ours to be in contact with nature and with plants mm-hmm. and be surrounded by sounds by sounds you know of the birds of the little bugs of these things and i mean this is it's kind of like a shame to be honest that we're kind of forced to start looking into this but it's i don't know i see it happening around and it's it's beautiful and more people having like a little veggie patch in their backyard and like it feels nice to see that yeah it is happening. I, I feel really yeah. confident that it is happening. And I don't, you know, there's lots of things that I feel a little bit maybe more pessimistic about in terms of the way that the world is going. But certain things like people reaching those realizations about the things that actually make them feel good and their ability to make food for themselves and their ability mm-hmm. to like shape their own environment in a positive way and be part of their neighborhood and be part of their natural world is yeah i think for the most part a discovery we all come to sooner or later whether it's values that were kind of taught to you or whether it's something that you just kind of fall into by accident and then learn to articulate and then learn to desire and seek out it takes a different amount of time for each of us i think Mm -hmm. but hopefully we all get there Mm -hmm. i think uh yeah the the city is such an interesting form of a place to live And on the one hand, it's, I think, so necessary for how human beings seem to mostly interact with the planet, right? Like if we, if we take our habits and we try to spread out all over the world, it's so much worse (laughs) for the world (laughs) as much as it seems like it's desirable for us. And then at the same time, the city is on so many different ways, wonderful and amazing and like develops all these cultural ideas and develops all these incredible things that you could never get otherwise. But it's often so horrible to live within. And I'm hoping that through similar discoveries, like discovering gardening or discovering that like, oh, actually having a street with trees on it feels great. Mm. (laughs) It's Mm. shady and it's nice and it smells good. That there are other little discoveries that we can make along the way that teach us individually and then hopefully collectively and then hopefully at like the level of policy ways that we can remold the shitty the shitty we can remold the city in (laughs) beneficial ways right and i think Mm. i don't know if where you are i don't even know if you live in a city do you live in an urban area uh not right now i i mean i live in a in a small town i've been here for the past year well i grew up in this town like a Mm. semi-desert 
town in like the middle of Mexico. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, like high here, elevation? Yeah. 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 High elevation, dry. Well, mm-hmm. there's water underground, but up here it's pretty dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I hear what you say about the city and its challenges and like beautiful things also. I'm wondering, have you noticed a change in your, in some of your values as you've worked in this project mm-hmm. and in the past few years? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um, I would say yes, but it's really tricky to put it into words. Hmm. I think, I think I was for the most part raised with pretty progressive values. I think I even from a pretty young age had a tendency to be a little bit more radical than my parents in those, in those ways. And my parents were already pretty far left. Um, so I, I came into podcasting with, yeah, pretty, I guess, like firmly held radical progressive left kinds of values. I think if you wanted to kind of wrap it up with a, in a few words like that, Mm -hmm. there are things that, well, (laughs) um, what I want to say that basically one of the things that's changed for me is not, not specific values per se. I would say that for the most part, a lot of what I thought of then I still kind of hold as a core value. But what I've learned is, I guess, a a capacity to appreciate other perspectives and other values and not necessarily judge other ways of seeing the world as Mm. wrong just because they don't conform with my way of seeing the world. And that has to extend to a, a kind of maybe not a patience, but like just a, a giving a space, maybe like, and it's really tricky because there's things that I think are really dangerous and really evil and really like regressive that I don't want to tolerate, but trying to balance that impulse to not tolerate another way of seeing the world with an understanding that my way is not the only way. Yeah. And holding those two things at once is is really challenging, right? Especially when we're talking about how... <sighs> on whose authority does anything happen, right? When we when we talk about these things that affect not just us, when we talk about things that, that are about our society, right? Like we can talk about individual freedoms and autonomy and personal choice, but there are all these different things that we, that what I do affects you and what you do affects me. And we take that, we can zoom that out uh, to a city, we can do, zoom that out to a watershed and an ocean and a continent to the world and, and our atmosphere, right? Like there's all these different ways that, that we affect each other. And so it's not that we need a consensus because we can operate without one. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're not probably going to operate in a very good way without one, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, balancing consensus with this plurality of just ways of being in the world is really tricky and fascinating to me. So yeah, I would say my my values haven't changed, but I think my capacity to give space has gotten better over time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've you've been putting yourself in situations where you've been kind of like 
force, quote unquote, to listen, right? <laughs> yeah. To people, to the nature, to mm. your co-producer, to like, to <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's beautiful. Well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think listening is a skill that you ever really master in that sense, right? If you think you have, that's probably where the problems start, yeah. I would imagine, yeah. right? And you can slip into thinking that you have at any point and then realize that you need to really practice listening mm. in yeah. that sense, like practice to get better at. Yeah, it's always challenging. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm really curious uh, to ask you, how do you create uh, a healthy relationship with hard topics and pessimism and optimism because in your podcast one of the beautiful things that i found this is gonna sound maybe a little bit sick but like one of the beautiful <laughs> things that i found is that yeah. you are almost all the time talking about really sad things Because it involves the environment and our relationship with it. And let's be honest, it's like you said, you know, like it, we're, I don't know, we're, we're not doing mm. such a great job. <laughs> yeah, um, on the whole, no. <laughs> on the whole to relate to ourselves and the environment and territories yeah. and mm. communities, etc., etc. Um, But on the other side of this question is the art form with mm. yeah like the, you you are doing it through art because for me your podcast is art and oh. and talking about these things in a way that makes me want to keep on listening and I'm, i'm not listening because i'm i want to hear about the bad things i want to hear about mm. them but then you provide for a twist or mm. for reflection and then there's always hope Even though you're not sometimes presenting the solutions per se, mm. there's always this undertone of hope, of a process, of like, yeah, like a process. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for seeing that and for hearing that. Um, that's, the, that's the constant struggle with our show, for exactly the reason that you put it, that the environment is not in a good way and it seems to be getting worse all the time right like it's it's <laughs> we've chosen a, a corner of the world well, i mean it's not exactly a corner it's the whole world but it we've 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 chosen a certain little media focus which is intrinsically depressing and probably will be for the foreseeable future and how to navigate that in a way that doesn't just depress you because that's not why I want to make the show. I don't, I don't want people to listen and, and be depressed. And in fact, I want to be able to help them out of the depression that I'm sure most of them are already feeling that I'm feeling that I think is natural to, to feel in times like this. And I, I think you'll hear that question that you just posed literally in a lot of our episodes, just mm -hmm. as that the next one that we're about to air actually is, has a lot of that in it. It's all about islands and ecological footprints and these ways of kind of conceptualizing conceptualizing our power to do something. And I guess, can I swear? 
Do yes, you, yes, yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> we, we, we don't on our show just because I, I don't want to like limit the audience, but yeah. you can bleep this if you want. <laughs> we do that. The world will never be fixed, right? Like I think we're never going to get to the place where everything is perfect. That doesn't exist, right? There's always going to be something to complain about. And that means that there's always going to be something to like work on and develop and challenge and improve. And by the same token, the world isn't ever totally fucked. I think Mm -hmm. the way that we're going right now, there's in all likelihood going to be a lot of suffering. And that's just horrible to think about. But everything that we can do, every little piece of that that we can see our own capacity to help means reducing that suffering, which means like a real benefit to ourselves or to somebody else. And the more that we can focus on on that, you may have been totally checked out for the past two, three, five years, but if you choose to act now, it's getting a little bit better, right? And that's that's all I want to do. That's That's really, I think, my main ability to contribute to the world is to offer those sources of inspiration. And like you say, it's, it's often not necessarily about specific solutions although we we might kind of select ideas that we think here are little places where you might want to put a little bit more focus on but we're not so interested in saying like oh yeah this technology or or this concrete way of seeing the world but it's it's just about where you look to find those things because the devil is in all those details for whatever context that you are in and then your position in the world your ability to rally your neighborhood around an idea or to change your own lifestyle or to be in public office, right? Like all of these, all these different ways that you can have a material effect on your life and the life of others. And then the life of others, of course, beyond human beings, the more than human lives around us, all these different ways that you could call it being of service. I think that's just the point of being alive, right? Mm. Yeah. And in depressing times, I'm hoping to offer a reminder, a consistent reminder that it's often just about kind of just flipping the valence, right? Looking at it a different way. To pull an example out of this episode that's coming out next week, we're talking about ecological footprints, about Galliano Island specifically, where Adam lives. They did this huge survey of the island and figured out exactly the numbers of what the ecological footprint is, the resources that they consume relative to what the island can provide and found that, well, of course, they're consuming way more than what the island can provide, like so many of us are, the island also being Earth, of course. We're consuming Earth at a rate greater than what Earth is producing on an annual basis. That's the that's the bad news. The even further bad news in the case of Galliano is that just looking at the things which are kind of systemic on the order of national services in Canada, all the military, the the medical system, all these governmental services on a per capita basis are more than one earth for the residents of Galliano. So we don't even get to touch their lifestyles before we're already consuming the earth more than it can provide. And it's like, that's wildly depressing. But the flip side of this is that there's almost twice as much consumption at play, which is within the power of people's local choices, right? Like mm. their ability to, 
determine how they drive or how they how much they fly or what they eat or how they heat their homes or all these different things some of which would be challenging for an individual to just flip a switch and and change but other stuff would be a lot less challenging to do that right just just not flying or or whatever yeah. it turns out that galliana residents actually fly a lot more than the average canadian hmm. rather the bc average so so yeah i think you can use the same numbers, the same statistics, the same facts about the world and allow that to depress you or allow yourself to see where are those opportunities mm. to improve, right? Yeah. And in this case, challenge the Canadian government to do better. Get that 40% yeah. of your footprint way, way, way down. But there's still 60% there that you can deal with much more locally. And mm. that's what we're trying to say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm looking forward to listen to that episode. Thanks. It's been so long. <laughs> It's been so much work. It's been so much work for Adam. He he actually did the footprinting survey as part of his day job. So it was yeah. just a monumental project. Yeah. There's like a 211 page report about it. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's ridiculous. I just had to make the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of help, actually. We had a, a great intern for that one. And that was a fun way to play with the form because Adam got to be an interviewee and Will, our intern, was a co-host with me. And again, I'm just sitting there reacting to what the story that Will is telling me. Okay. It was super fun. Nice. Yeah. Do you yeah. see Adam often? I would say occasionally. Sadly, we didn't get to have a summer adventure this year. We, oh, we okay. like to do a an annual summit meeting, we call it, um, which usually involves climbing a mountain. And it kind of fell through this year, which was both of our faults. Well, it, <laughs> I don't want to blame Adam. It just, it didn't come to pass. Hopefully I'll get to go to Galliano soon and visit. We do a lot of our work over Slack. Mm. You know, we chat on Slack all the time. We do voice and video calls. And we got to see each other in person every couple of months. The, the podcast is better when we record in person. But an awful lot of it is also recorded kind of like this, right? Mm -hmm. Remotely. And you can tell there's a there's a different vibe when we're actually in the same room. It also comes with its own recording challenges because then we bleed into each other's microphones yeah. and it, it makes my life difficult. But yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I was like shuffling through some of the previous episodes, like, I don't know, like maybe from a year old or a bit more. And sure. I, at one point you started Well, Future Ecology started to be supported by, is it the University of Victoria? Oh, yeah. So that was a specific project that we did ah, okay. with UVic. Uh, so that was yeah. just the Scales of Change ah, okay. Okay, series, okay. that limited series. Um, there's seven chapters and an intro, so an eight-part series, which was super fun. Hmm. I have to say, it's hard for me to listen to those personally, because just from like, a hosting and performance point of view i'm really embarrassed about like certain like <laughs> script delivery aspects that i'm just yeah. completely embarrassed by but people people seem to like it so i'm glad okay. it lives on on the internet okay so no we don't we don't have continuous support from the university okay. of victoria but we were basically we were hired by them to do that project which was just amazing a really a real honor to be part we were actually the first podcast that they worked with in that way hmm Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful that they support mm. projects such as yours. Do you see in Canada, at least, do you see like a institutions being more open to support creative projects like yours that touch on these very important subjects? 
I hope so. I, um, I don't know. I don't really have my finger on that pulse. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, yeah. like I think in addition to marketing this afterthought in podcasting, yeah. another thing which I'm not particularly good at or interested in <laughs> is seeking out funding. And that's one of the things where it's like, wow, yeah, I could probably survive a lot easier or, you know, have a lot less stress in my life if I, if we were able to seek out grant funding more effectively. There probably are institutions out there that that would appreciate what we're doing and want to help get it out to the world and and maybe not want to get to get their fingers too deep into the creative process unless they were really cool, you know, unless they've mm -hmm. got great ideas. But I don't know. It's I want that to exist and it probably does mm -hmm. and it's probably heading that way. I just want to make the show and i want i yeah. want some help to find yeah. those things do you I know what i mean yeah totally a lot of the opportunities that we've had really in terms of like supporting the show and getting these projects like with the university of victoria and the serpentine galleries and the the bulkley valley uh, research center they've all literally fallen into well not quite literally but they they fell into our laps Right. Like mm -hmm. these were people who came to us and said, we want to work with you on this thing. And we we're like, wow, cool. That's amazing. And they were like, we can pay you a little bit. And I was like, whoa, are you serious? Mm -hmm. And so we did that. Right. But seeking out those opportunities has been such a heartache because it takes so, so long. And then it's like, oh, and it kind of fell through. And it's like, well, I wish I was just making the show for yeah. those months rather than yeah. pursuing that, that thing. Um, so it's just another thing for me to get better at or hopefully to get better at working with others on mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i hope institutions want that i hope mm -hmm. that the you know the yeah. the seriousness of climate change and our environmental crisis on all fronts is enough to think about getting change on the ground and getting new ideas in people's ears because we have all these worldviews that we treat as the only way to exist in the world because they're the default they're what we're raised with or what we're socialized into yeah. and I think so many of us can recognize that there's a problem with that and we're all just kind of mostly just looking at each other for inspiration on how to move past that. And that's okay, right? It's not, there may be some people who have great ideas. There are a lot of good ideas out there and we just need to get more different ideas in front of more people, I think. There is, I'm just going randomly like questions oh, and yeah. like, uh, like, yeah, I'm curious about your work. There's like this, common thread and emphasis on native territories and indigenous mm. heritage that shows up very often in your episodes. And I, I love, I love that. It was the first time when, as I said, I was not listening to many podcasts, but it was your podcast. It was the first podcast in which I heard someone like honoring the land Hmm. where the podcast was made at the beginning of each episode that really really shifted something in me and and like inspired me and i hmm. i want to ask you i mean i kind of have a feeling of what the what's behind this but what brought you to this if was there any experiences or just hmm. ideas that brought you to want to do this and how have you managed to do it with what seems to be like a very, very respectful and like kind mm -hmm. and loving approach to this uh, subject. 
Well, again, thank you. Um, that, <clears throat> like, like so much of the other stuff that we've been talking about, I think this was a big part of the point of the podcast. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm telling people about the show, I, I quite often tell people, you know, it's a podcast about decolonial philosophy disguised as a show about nature, right? Like it's mm. it's really about these ideas, but it presents itself to you as a show where you get to learn about the beautiful things of nature. And really it's about how we are with nature and how we relate to all these things, how we're part of it. And it's not about fetishizing indigeneity or, or perpetuating this idea of the quote unquote noble savage or these other ideas, which have been really problematic and really popular. Yeah. It's about really looking at where relationships with the land are the deepest. And and we're we're doing this podcast from here. We're mostly talking about these relationships that are here. It's it's been kind of weird, honestly. I'm grateful, but it's been weird that we have this global audience now and mm-hmm. we have an audience in Europe. And it's like I get a little bit squirrely sometimes when I when I hear people in Europe talking about the indigeneity and and the being indigenous on the on the Salish Sea because I just don't know how much contact that they have with that. And not to say that it's inherently bad, but I worry sometimes that people interpret it or that they take it into their own lives as a kind of stereotyping or or Mm. making a trope out of something. And that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is, again, just, just highlight these ancient and largely successful, of course, not infallible or perfect in, in such ways, but deeply practiced ways of working with and existing alongside the context of nature that we have here, the environment that we have here. And some of those things are broadly applicable, and some of them are really contextual to the Salish Sea and to different parts of the Salish Sea. Hmm. We started our podcast off with um, not just a land acknowledgement, but the very first episode was really deeply looking at these ideas of respect uh, for the land and for the people who have lived on it the longest and not not just taking because you think you're entitled to it. Mm-hmm. And I will say that there are tensions in the the very production of a podcast, any podcast, where stories themselves become another extractive resource that we mine from people's brains and we refine and then we sell in the sense that we further our own careers off of these stories right and i and i have to constantly kind of check myself about the stories that i'm being offered and the stories that i i have these impulse to take because they're juicy and because they're not not salacious necessarily but because they have that kind of the that like a hook the the hook the the media <laughs> thing the kind yeah. of the, that toxic trait of content right content for content's sake. So keeping a really live sense of that has been really important to me. Hmm. And then the other the other side of this that I don't know about exactly where you are. I here where I live in Vancouver, in BC, in Canada, by these names, there is quite an active and, and has been for a long time a ongoing process of disentangling the history of colonization here. And this was something that was ongoing while we were making the show. So it wasn't like we were first to the party on this thing. It was ongoing where where we are. But there's also this habit of making 
a land acknowledgement of that sort. Oftentimes you'd go to an event and they'd say, you know, we're gathered here on the ancestral territories of whoever lived here in our case. Uh, well, in my case, uh, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. This is unceded territory, which means that it was never, there was no treaty signed about it. There was never exactly like a war that was then fought to completion. It was just this seepage of settlement that bled into everywhere. And then this de facto authoritarian rule of the Canadian state that refused to exist in parallel with the indigenous states. Mm. And we all have to acknowledge that this is, you know, we live in this place. We, we sit mostly as the benefactors of these events, right? We, I guess, is a, is a tricky thing to, to use there too. I have to be really careful because I'm not indigenous. I'm a settler. I'm a, a second generation Canadian. And I also want to be really cognizant about who we're speaking to. I think we're not just exporting indigenous ideas for a non-indigenous audience. I think we have a capacity and, in fact, really a duty to offer indigenous ideas to other indigenous audiences because we have an indigenous audience. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening in the world of indigenous governance that I am really honored to kind of highlight and and be like, hey, here's some ideas that maybe you want to incorporate in, in what you're doing on the ground in your territory. So I do still sometimes slip into using the we for people like me, hmm. i.e. settlers. Hmm. You start to notice, I think, cynically, that land acknowledgements are often used as a way to just button up this uncomfortable history of mm. intense exploitation and oppression and say the bad thing happened here we are moving on right like that that's mm. it and there's these these nice words that people use they do lip service as it is sometimes called but it doesn't go beyond that and the 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 words that are used are quite often very similar and we're hoping to keep that conversation going because it's not just about repeating the words and, and saying the little prayer before you you start the event yeah it's about really reflecting on it right and thinking about what does this mean to you where do i come to in this who am i where did i come from and why am i here today right and i think quite often you'll hear indigenous guests on the podcast introduce themselves in those terms as well which i think is just like a really brilliant way of giving somebody some idea of your worldview, right? We can imperfectly, but we have some ability to imagine what another person sees the world like. Obviously, we can't see the world as them. We can only ever see the world as ourselves. But we do have some capacity to try on a different set of eyes. And if we're talking to somebody and they tell us who they are and where they come from and, and like the families that they're connected to, if we have some idea of that network of relationships that tells us a lot about them and how they see the world. And that is just like a useful way to be in conversation with somebody. And that's, I think, a really potent and powerful way that we can all introduce ourselves. It can take a little while, right? You don't just get to say like, hi, my name is, you have to give this little history about your whole life, but I think it serves a very useful purpose. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. I hear what you say about not using it as a little, what, how do you say it? Like button up uh, <laughs> solution, quote unquote, and then just leaving everything behind because the trauma is still 
in the places, in people and showing up in many different ways, you know, like in communities, in nature. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's about really having those talks and discussions and listening. Yeah. And like you said, being exposed to different viewpoints and ideas. Totally. Hmm. I would say it's, it's also, there's a, a sad irony because we do have this intro voiceover for the podcast that does stay the same is just this little this thing because it's part of the theme song it, it it's the, the territories change depending on whether the episode is kind of primarily taking place on galliano where adam lives which is the territories of the penelicate wasanich lalem serataneo and other holcominum speaking peoples or where where i am as i said on the musqueam slaywatooth and squamish territories but it is still this little this little thing that that stays the same and we don't always have the capacity to offer that deep reflection right in that moment mm. but you know i think because of the content of the show we we do get to get deeper than that quite often yeah but i'm quite aware that it's it's kind of just there as a as a little sound effect mm. for better for worse yeah but yeah the the trauma is ongoing and i think i'm always learning i'm constantly being reminded of my own insensitivity i guess you could say the fact that it isn't necessarily right there for me all the time or that it's not the first thing that i think about or that i'm coming at the question of what to do or, or like or or the questions that i ask are coming from this history of being socialized in a colonial context is i have not escaped from and i don't think that i ever really will it's a there's a lot of things that I'm sure I will continue to be embarrassed about or sorry for or uh, grateful for, for learning and growing through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really, really, really honored to have been invited to so many different spaces and to, to talk with people and to be given these stories openly. I think mm -hmm. it's it's been a huge honor. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think it's a beautiful thing that I think happens when you showcase that curiosity that you and Adam are feeding mm -hmm. is the um, before your podcast I've never heard the name of these mm -hmm. people and communities and I'm really I feel in a funny way like far away from it but also very close mm -hmm. because it reminded me of It brought to me that process, which is, as you said, like ongoing, of thinking about my territory again and of the people here, even though it's we're in a different country, different places, climates. But at the end, it helped me in my personal case to reconnect with that again. And I think it, it does. Mm. Like every episode, I know it's, I feel you, like I feel what you say, like it's a little sound bit there. But I, it really, I, for me, it really does make a nice, like, ripple effect, I think. Oh, I'm so grateful to hear that. Do you want to talk more about, about your connection with your territory there? We spent so much time talking about me. I'm curious yeah, about... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, tell me more about where you live and um, maybe the complexities of, of what it means to be in, yeah, in Mexican territory. See, um... I, it's a process for me and it's been a process I think I've been going through for my entire life and in the past few years trying to be more conscious about it. I feel like there's a big 
sadly, like in many, many places, there's like a big detached state from nature and from history and from very important topics and experiences. Mm. I think Mexico is a, it's a very interesting example because I always say that the a big part of of Mexico wants to be like uh, like the states in like the capitalistic consumist way and there's also a big big honoring of the roots in many ways you know like there was the conquest and it was very particular case because a lot of people say there were like this obviously there was abuse and like control and stealing of territories but mm-hmm. in another part there was also this kind of they call it romance which i think it's a little bit too positive <laughs> <laughs> but you can see a lot of the traditions mm-hmm. around which is very very interesting just like a big, big example is Day of the Dead. Mm. It comes from before the conquest, this tradition of honoring the dead and setting up an altar. And it mm. it comes from starting of winter celebrations, like ceremonies, rituals. And they kind of got infused with Catholic yeah, rituals and dates and everything. And there's this like mestizo... I don't know the word for mestizo, but like um, cross-breed between cultures in some aspects. Mm -hmm. So that for like just that was like a big rant, but I can see the struggle between the the forces. People deep down needing the connection to the earth, to the people around, to the communities, to the past, to the rituals, Mm -hmm. to all these things, and also kind of living from this superficial mind state of quote-unquote progress that has been what i've seen growing up in in this territory and also in mexico city even though it's like way more urban obviously but that has also why i'm I've been thinking about it a lot and like really trying to figure out these things and how I relate to them is because my identity is very fixed to that because Mm -hmm. I have like a a little bit, I don't know how much, but I have a little bit of indigenous blood, um, Mm -hmm. like heritage, not a lot. I think it was like my mom's great, great grandmother that was indigenous. So it's a little bit in me. And there, I don't have much information about my family history, but I'm, yeah. I know that I'm a big part of my family is we're settlers. So my identity has been struggling. I'm like, okay, yes, I was born here, but where does my family come from? What does that mean? Am I building my identity? Is it mm-hmm. something that I inherit, inherit? I don't know. It's beautiful and confusing at the same time. And and it reflects to the situation of the land, I think, and the people here. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel... I... It's an issue for so many of us, I think. My own family history is not 
completely erased in the sense that like records don't exist, but there, there's some aspects of it which are definitely hazy, and there's other aspects which I feel in maybe a teenage rebellion just kind of never felt very interested in or curious of. And the older that I get, the more interested I am in kind of rediscovering those roots. But maybe I think partially in in the ignorance of really deeply understanding where my family is coming from, because my family came from across the country, and before that they came from across the, the ocean. And I don't really know either of those places. I know I know here, and I feel much more the product of this place than that, to me, remote-seeming history of my bloodline. But I'm sure there are elements. I see the power of ritual more and more as I get older, and it's I still have a hard time with with ideas of, uh, I guess, God. I was raised very secular, very atheistic, um, but I see such importance in opening oneself up to the spiritual and especially to the ritual and just the practice of putting, taking the time to do things a little bit slower and a little bit more intentionally. Mm. And I don't know whether or not belief in God is a prerequisite or just like a useful part of accomplishing that. And maybe, mm-hmm. and you know, this is just my struggles, my own spiritual kind of struggles. But I guess what I want to say is that I empathize a little bit. I feel very disconnected from my roots. I feel very connected with this place in the sense that I feel like it's a part of who I am, but I also feel like yeah. I also don't understand it as deeply as I probably ought to. I have a little bit of hope. There was a story that we couldn't keep in the episode for time, but um, it came from a fellow named Willie Charlie out in Staelis territory, where we were for the, the Forest Garden episode in episode one of season four. And he was basically talking about, you know, it sounds like this wasn't quite as much the case where you are, but throughout a lot of places in Canada and I think also in the U.S. Yeah, I'm pretty sure also in indigenous territories throughout the U.S. There's a lot of active kind of knowledge and language revitalization programs. So elders are teaching the language as much as they can and kids are going to school and actively learning these things and really thinking about how deeply the words themselves are connected with the land, that they somehow the language reflects the stories of the land. I heard some really really inspiring things earlier this year. God, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna totally garble this quote, but in a sense that the the land gives language to us, and then we give the land stories that it mm. that it holds on to in that sense that that we are responsible for telling the oh. stories of the land and passing those along, and that's that's part of the way that the land itself knows itself, and mm. we're we're part of that through the stories that we tell wow. and inherently through the language that we use. So keeping those chains of of language as whole as possible is really important and obviously great damage has been done through the active effort to exterminate those cultures and those languages and in some places it was complete which is just really really unbelievably sad but the the thing that willie charlie was telling us was basically this experience that he had had we're going out on the land 
him and his brother had, again, I am not going to be able to repeat the story in, in, in the completeness and the, the richness that he told it, but effectively that they were able to sing a song of the land from being on the land and bring that back. And it was recognized as a song that had already been, that hadn't been sung in, in a very long time, that there's some capacity for us to, in our current generation, having the chain at some level already been broken to recover some of those ideas just from being with the territory and listening mm. to it deeply. And I think you might be more or less skeptical about, about mm. those sorts of ideas and whether or not you believe in it. I just think it's, it's a beautiful way to approach the situation that we face, which is the loss of huge amounts of knowledge and the urgent need to to find that knowledge, or at least knowledge of that sort, in order to survive well into the future. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. What well, do you feel? There is a relationship, or like geometry, hmm. between honoring nature and spirituality and community and wisdom fully yes spirituality is one of those things that's really hard to pin down hmm. i think we can talk in pretty abstract terms about it or about i mean it's easier to talk concretely i guess about just the idea of ritual or the idea of community or the idea of honoring the land hmm. I think the function that it serves, again, to get back to this kind of like structural appreciation for why things are the way they are that my mind wants to do. But like at its core, a lot of it to me seems like the taking the time, right? Really intentionally taking the time. It's the reason why people take smoke breaks. Partly they're addicted to nicotine, but partly <laughs> they just want a moment to meditate. I don't know how many people are taking smoke breaks these days. I don't, I don't smoke. Um, but like ritual is a lot of that I think is, is what's in ritual is, is taking a break from your regular pace of life to do the thing because it's the thing that needs doing. And you're going to put your whole mind into it and you do it with a care and a practice. And sometimes it can be rote like these other things that we were talking about. It's just, it's just the thing and you, you do it mindlessly and that's okay, I guess. And then every once in a while, I think you're drawn back into it and you have a new experience of it. And then you carry that forward into your, your waking life, you could say. Mm -hmm. And I think similar ideas about when you're taking from the natural world, you should also consider giving to some extent to whatever that means to you. You know, there could be something physical. Tobacco actually is often used by people yeah. who practice such things. I've never quite been able to understand the magic of tobacco to a lot of people. That's not something that I'm in, in contact with, mm -hmm. but it seems interestingly nearly universal, right? Like tobacco has a potency yeah. that I'm, I'm still trying to understand. I don't often carry tobacco because I don't smoke, um, <laughs> but I've given hair. I've given, I've put seeds back if I'm eating fruit. Mm. I've said something. I've sung little songs. I like songs. Actually, songs are something mm. that I give a lot. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I often just forget and I sink into that mode of greedily taking and eating berries just because I'm in the ecstasy of, 
of mm. eating fruit and it just feels yeah. like so animal and that's all that i am in that moment that i forget to slow down and reflect yeah i think community is hugely important i think we're being told repeatedly from all different angles within this kind of like the system that encourages us to be entrepreneurial to strike out on our own and to be the the architects of our own success or dismal failure in this this kind of cutthroat way of existing alongside other human beings and other living entities I think that totally sucks. I, I, what I think it's telling us is that we have the power to do things mostly by ourselves and then kind of recruit others in the service of the thing that we're trying to do. Hmm. But but we're supposed to be at the top of that thing. This is a thing that I struggle with starting a podcast and starting this kind of media entity and trying to, like we were saying, bring others into collaboration with the thing that at least originated with me and with Adam. How do I not make that into a pyramid with me at the top or a wheel with me at the center? How do, how do I make it something more diffuse? Mm. I think community is so critical and that like every time this is another piece of wisdom that, that I was given earlier this year that literally everybody you might come into contact with, they have something that'll just totally surprise you. And that like, if you don't, open yourself up to that opportunity to find, to discover that and to, to give them the space to share it, then you've just missed out, right? Mm -hmm. You've gone along thinking that you already know exactly who they are and what they, what they know and what they have to share, but there's no way you could know everything that they've seen or the things that, that they, the wisdom that they could possibly share with you. And after I was given that, I just kept repeatedly having that experience that I just fall into these conversations and be like, just let the <laughs> space open up for somebody to share. Yeah as if it was my doing. I don't want to give myself too much credit there. But it would just happen that people are amazing. Hmm. Everything is amazing. Yeah. But yeah. we tune out of that a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. See, see, I think we tend to polarize. I mean, mm. I, I, I do it a lot and I think I see it all around me and I think it's yeah. really hurtful. And yeah, I was recording an interview yesterday with an amazing artist that has worked a lot with like space and mm. and the ideas about space and he talked about the polarization between thinking and separating earth from space and how as everything it would like really really be helpful to see a spectrum instead of like a switch I think that you mentioned it before, like learning to see things in through different lenses and perspectives, no, and from different people's perspectives. And trying to hold as many of those kind of, I think, in your mind at once is a really helpful and challenging exercise, right? Mm -hmm. To not just kind of oscillate between one and the other, mm -hmm. but yeah. to, to try to, to really struggle to hold both of them and yeah. feel those tensions and those kind of contradictions. Mm. I think for the most part, we believe the things that we want to believe yeah. and we, we gravitate to those ideas that make us feel good because of the values that we were raised with and because of the worldviews that we mostly mm. just inherited. And it takes so much work to push away from those even just a little bit. Mm. 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'm very good at <laughs> pushing away from those, mm. but I do think it's useful. Yeah. 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 I hear that. Yeah. Does space even have a, a proper definition? I, I thought it was kind of hazy as it is. It is hazy. It is hazy, yeah. but I think he meant like outer space, you know, like what's mm. out there, quote unquote, you know? <laughs> yeah. I can see a Star Wars poster behind you. Oh, thanks. That's my what? partner's. I think it came in like an album. It has the it has the folds of a of being part of like an old LP, nice. probably a Star Wars soundtrack. Yeah. It's pretty sick. Um Do you like sci-fi? I love sci-fi. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, right in the middle of uh, watching Stargate SG-1 for the first time. And it's so corny, but, <laughs> you know, it's got some parts. It's got some parts that I actually really appreciate. Yeah. I'm kind of on that note, actually. I was wondering where do you see uh, like a, a strict purpose to art, to doing art in this way? Is it is it part of this process or is it like, is it? just reflecting on it do you know what i mean like is is art the center of it is art yeah. off to the side you mean like podcasting and like doing this or or in general I mean, art, art? art practice in general yeah okay. but like i mean because you you're an artist of different of different spheres mostly sound I, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah how, how do you reflect on artistic practice as part of this journey mm, i feel it plays a big role a big, big role, you know, like a necessary role in in sharing experiences and feelings and channeling mm. those feelings, like in different levels, like first of all, like coming from as an artist, like expressing something through an art form, just mm. the simple fact of expressing that, it's like grabbing a blank piece of paper and doing a doodle or a drawing or or just putting that out there making mm. it materialize that's like one really really important and in my case necessary thing otherwise i go a little bit cuckoo i think <laughs> if i stop creating for a, for a while yeah. in another level is communicating mm. and communicating sometimes with words yes sometimes with more rational ideas or a lot of the times just very raw communication that someone else is gonna feel and maybe understand me and my experience mm -hmm. or maybe not but the fact that they are feeling something and going into a process because of that i think is big part of the mission of art at least in my in my perspective and in honoring what's around us going back to what you said about the world realizing the world is not never going to be perfect and also it's never going to be completely always fucked i think that art is one of the things that helps us stay in the middle and look at both sides and acknowledge both sides and just keep on going forward totally <laughs> when you're in a i guess a creative mode something that i struggle with hmm. is i feel like i get so consumed with i think i make life really difficult for myself when i'm working on the podcast but basically mm -hmm. when i'm making i barely have time to 
enjoy nature but also other people's artwork i feel like mm. it's almost like the, the pendulum swings a little bit yeah. too hard in both yeah. directions mm-hmm. and i think it's just like a, a bitter irony i want to i want to be able to appreciate more people's mm-hmm. creation and i yeah. i feel like i i give so much time to myself and then expect other people to like appreciate it it's like yeah. well everybody should also be making their own thing yeah i don't know do you do you feel like you, you're striking an okay balance there <laughs> getting inspired and and making inspiration for others Mm, not no (laughs) yeah no i think uh, i think i really oscillate i really oscillate between and this might be like very harsh words but between producing and consuming and Mm. and i think that i'm just going back to what you just said before about having a Mm. balance between taking and giving back Reflecting on what you just said, you, Mendel, also need to feed yourself with some nutrients in order to keep on giving out things. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just saying it from a... No, I mean, that's that's definitely my like, self-talk when it's 4 p.m. and I haven't eaten anything. <laughs> like, oh my God, I need to eat something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens way too often. Yeah. Uh, it's... Yeah, no... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you. no, I was going to say that it's a common theme between friends that do creative work, looking at the clock and realizing 10 hours went by and there's just like <laughs> one cup of coffee inside you, but you're like really stuck into the computer or your instrument or your paintings or something. That's too real. <laughs> That's too much. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Gosh, seeking balance, never really finding balance, but always seeking balance. That's what we're after. This has been a really, really lovely conversation, Mendel. I'm really thankful for the time for opening up on this uh, many, many different subjects. (laughs) Thank you for the opportunity. This has been really fun. Yeah, I think. I think this is the first time I've ever actually properly guested on somebody else's show. So okay. thank you. Well, it's yeah. a huge honor. Yeah. 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 No, the honor is mine. Thank you. Thank you, Sergio. It's been a pleasure. That was Mendel Skolsky. If you wish to connect with them and listen to their show, Future Ecologies, please visit the link in the show notes of this episode. If you're called to discover or reconnect with your inner purpose, you can book a free purpose coaching session with me through my link in the show notes of this episode. We Walk the Earth is a Nautilab original and is produced by me, Sergio Isauro. The music in this episode was produced by Tejedor. Editing by Miguel Andrade. Mixing by Samuel Peñalba. Executive production, Jorge González. Community management, Angie Martinez. If you like this podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. This will help us keep going creating and igniting curiosity in more people. This is We Walk the Earth. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.